like we are underway. So Lorraine, thank you so much for joining us on the Proof of Words podcast today. Um, I am, of course, as always, your host, Pat, joined by my partner in crime, uh, Matthew. Hello. Uh, Today, we have a very, very interesting uh, guest that has been able to join us. Uh, So Lorraine, if you would be so kind, maybe if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and the work that it is that you do in Kenya. Okay, so first of all, thank you for having me on this uh, podcast. So yeah, so my name is Lorraine Marcel Atieno, popularly known as Marcel by basically almost everyone. (laughs) So yeah, so I am the founder of Bitcoin Dada. Um, We started back in, well, not really back, last year, 2022. And a bit about my journey, uh, I started in 2017, 2018. I've always been a business-minded person. So when I left campus, I was like, yo, I'm not going to get employed. I would rather choose uh, entrepreneurship, right? So at the time I was doing different businesses at the same time. I was doing corporate branding, I was doing event management, and I was also teaching myself Forex trading, right? Um, So in 2018, well, basically from 2016 to 2018. What, what inspired the uh, Forex trading? That's kind of a unique rabbit to pull out of the hat that you want to get interested <laughs> in. Well, I, I think I just wanted multiple streams of income, right? Um, it's not it's not like every other day you have events to do. So I wanted to have multiple streams of income. And Forex was like had a buzz at the, around the same time that blockchain or cryptocurrencies was having the same buzz, right? So because I didn't understand sure. cryptocurrency and Forex had been there for some time. Forex has always been there. I was like, let me just try Forex before I jump into cryptocurrencies. Right. So, yeah. So in 2018, 2016 to 2018, there was a lot of buzz around blockchain. A lot of companies were coming into Africa as a whole, just saying, you know, blockchain is the new things, the new tech. You know, you have to be part of it. You have to join us, blah, blah, blah. So fortunately, Mm -hmm. a friend of mine um, introduced me to one of the companies that they were launching a product in Kenya. And I actually got to um, organize the, the launch for them. That was 2018. Uh, And we had just seen like a bull run. So there was a lot of excitement, people waiting for another bull run and thinking like, you know, this is the next, this this will definitely be the next token that will make us billionaires or millionaires, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So yeah, I did organize the um, the event and it turned out awesome. And it was the, at this event that I heard about the concept of decentralized finance. And with somebody who was struggling with money, I mean, savings, transaction fees, you know, um, just being able to give the right rates to my clients was a bit challenging for me. So I was also looking at mm-hmm. some something that can actually help me um, sort of try to separate my funds from the states, right? So 2018, okay. I had about uh, Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. 2019, 2018, 2019, got into different projects, of course, lost money, uh, sometimes made money. So it was, a, it was a bit of up and down and uncertainty. So when COVID came, um, I decided to focus on Forex. At least I had information about it. That is how I paid my bills during the COVID-19 period because no one was doing events, right? <laughs> and especially mm-hmm. when you're in the inter- when you were in the entertainment industry, like it was completely you couldn't even do like work from home as other people were working from home. So I did Forex. That was what was paying my bills at the time. And I decided to try and teach myself about cryptocurrencies. Now, I did narrow down to Bitcoin because I don't think like a lot of people, let me just say, I don't think anyone has the bandwidth to concentrate or study about all currencies, right? So I chose to focus Mm -hmm. on Bitcoin because um, one, it was, well, it was actually, the only reason is because it had not disappointed me. There was no day that I woke up and realized, oh, my coins have disappeared, (laughs) you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and the other thing that- we call them Bitcoin. Yeah, the other thing that drew me to Bitcoin was because no one was really controlling it. I didn't understand the concept concept back then, but I was like, okay, since it's the only unique feature compared to other cryptocurrencies, let me just see, let me just see what goes on after this. So I concentrated on concentrated on Bitcoin. Um, it was one of the best decisions that I made because after COVID, yes, I went back to my businesses 
And um, last year we had an event. Um, we had one of the Bitcoiners come into Kenya, Paco, run with Paco. I think you all, you've heard about him. So a friend, again, a friend from the crypto space told me, oh, there's this event and I think these guys don't know what they're doing, but you can organize the event for them. So given the, <laughs> I was given the event to organize. So I organized it and um, it was cool meeting other Bitcoiners. At that time, I wasn't really a Bitcoiner. Um, I was just uh, stressed on that. I wasn't really a Bitcoiner. So I'd gone there as an event organizer. And one of them said like, hey, you don't really have to leave. You can sit down and listen. And I was like, okay, fine. So I sat down, engaged with these people and actually um, saw why Bitcoin and not other cryptocurrencies, right? So Bitcoin data was actually birthed at that particular event because one, even as I like, um, um, I went into the whole blockchain space, I realized one thing, um, African women were not really participating like in the blockchain space, right? But when it came to the, when we, when I narrowed down to Bitcoin, um, there were fewer and fewer women. For example, in that particular event, we were only two females, two females. Both of us were not there because of Bitcoin. I was there because I was uh, organizing the event. The other female was there because the partner was there. So it's like he, he just told her, like, ah. tag along, just come, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah. So it's like they, they really... I what I do with my wife at every Bitcoin or crypto conference I go to. I, tr I, I try to explain to my wife what I do for a living. Mm -hmm. And I mean, God bless, God bless her soul. Uh, she just thinks I work for Bitcoin at this point. Like there's a company <laughs> named Bitcoin that, 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 I, that I'm the CEO of. Um, <laughs> I, I've tried to explain it to her, but I don't know. I guess she doesn't have the patience with me to uh, go through the actual explanation of what Bitcoin is. <laughs> and it sound, somehow sounds like Greek when men talk about it. So I, I really don't blame her. <laughs> you guys make it so technical. <laughs> yeah so anyway so so it's like okay fine why why aren't females participating in this space right so i reached out to a few of my friends asked them like why are you not participating why don't you want to learn about cryptocurrencies as a whole blah 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 and they had the same kind of reasons one it's a bit too technical they don't have any they don't see any representation in this space like uh, for money it's easy to mm -hmm. get in because they see other men right so for the females are like uh, are you sure it's part of like can we really do it can i really understand what is there the other thing is this uh bro code you know you get into a space you get into a meeting that is only for men and you're like you're not sure if you're supposed to be there you're not sure if they'll judge you you kind of feel intimidated blah 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 etc so it's like okay fine um those are just me excuses and they can be dealt with so i said okay fine as much as I don't have like the complete knowledge about it. I'm just going to start it off and see where it goes. So I started Bitcoin Data in last year, 2022, uh, 2022 May. And um, I was just mm -hmm. doing it for the sake of it, just to try and get the basics out there for females and see if we can have more females participating. And even to try and see if other Bitcoiners can actually come and teach us exactly what Bitcoin is and the fundamentals of Bitcoin, right? Um, so it has been quite a journey. I have seen, we've had even volunteers coming into our classes, um, teaching the girls. We've had uh, donors for our classes, you know, sponsorship for our students. And um, there has been a lot of interest now that they can see another African female is doing it. So why not them? You know, mm -hmm. like for this cohort, we've had like four cohorts um, so far with over 60 students graduating. Um, oh, now wow. we have, yeah, yeah. So, uh, we, so we're going to- So what is the curriculum that you focus on? Like what is, uh, so you're um, aggregating these women to teach them about Bitcoin. What is it that you are, well, what does the curriculum look like? What is it that you're teaching them about Bitcoin? Okay, so in a nutshell, basically the fundamentals of Bitcoin. So that includes the definition, security measures, wallet, um, how to keep your Bitcoin. And uh, I mean, your seed phrases safe. Um, what else? Why Bitcoin is important to you, both as an African and as a female. Uh, we teach money financial education actually that is the first topic that we teach the, the the women before we start even educating them about bitcoin so what is money how it has evolved and etc what else do we teach yeah um we also have during the classes 
I mean, it's phenomenal that you even start with the what is money conversation, because I mean, I mean, so Matt and I, I mean, we're American. We were born and raised uh, just outside of Philadelphia, right? We all went to public mm -hmm. private schools. And I mean, America is supposed to have like a high level of education, right? And the truth is I never actually learned what money was until I discovered Bitcoin after college, right? I mean, I went through 12 years of uh, grade school. I went through four years of high school. I then went through four years of college. Then I did an MBA. And that whole entire time, I just figured, okay, money is the US dollar. Money is the Euro, right? You, you're never actually taught what money is when you grow up in the West. I guess it's just because it's supposed to be so self-evident. It's okay. Money is the dollar. Don't ask any questions about it. It was only when I discovered Bitcoin that I started to realize, okay, maybe there's more to this money thing than what the central banks and what the governments are kind of letting on. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Well, I, I don't think it's supposed to be self-evident. I think, and especially as for Africans, I feel money is used to as a contro controlling tool. You know, so that's why you're not really giving the information about what exactly is money and why is uh, is the information behind it important. You know, if you if you just know that you you if you know the information that we know right now, I, I mean, there will be a revolution. You know, there will be strikes everywhere. So, for me, I think holding back that information exactly. is a it's some sort of a way to control us. You know, put us in a box. You know. I feel the same way about the U.S. too. The U.S. has gone that way uh, just over the last couple of decades, for sure. I mean, ever since the U.S. abandoned the gold standard uh, back in, what was it, 71 or 72, I guess. I mean, I can yeah. promise you, if you went and did, I mean, I love those... Um, you have those uh, influencers, they go and they get a microphone and then they interview people on the street in like New York or other big cities. And they specifically try to ask like what should be very simple questions like what are name three states or something like that or who was the first president of the United States, right? And they specifically interview the dumbest people out there to uh, just have good content, right? I can promise you, if you did that exercise as an influencer and walked down the streets of New York and just interviewed anybody on the street, well over half of the people would think that the U.S. dollar is backed by gold. I maybe probably even 70 or 80 percent of those people would say, oh, yeah, of course, the dollar is backed by gold. They hold the gold somewhere in a vault. And I just trust if I go to said bank with my dollar, they're going to give me gold back. And the fact of the matter is, is it's not true. Um, so I do think that it, it, fiat currency only exists because the population is willfully ignorant to what money actually is. Because exactly like you said, if people truly understood what money is and how money works, or at least how fiat money works today, I mean, there would be riots in the street everywhere. I genuinely mm -hmm. believe that. True, true. And it's not only in the States. Even here, if you do ask, I was having a conversation with um, some old guy who owns a hotel, and I was trying to orange peel him. And we were talking about money, right? Because that's the first conversation that I always have with these people. And he was like, you know, what is Bitcoin backed yeah. by? Um, and I was like, what is the Kenya shilling backed by, and he said it's backed by the dollar that's backed by gold reserves in the States. And I was like, oh, my God. Exactly. OK, 50 years ago, that was the truth. It's not anymore. I mean, at the end of the day, fiat currency is only backed by the trustworthiness and the creditworthiness of the central banks that are issuing it and therefore the governments that are supporting the central banks. And I think it was only during the COVID years that people started to look at this and go, oh, holy shit, they're just printing money on a whim. They're I mean, the U.S. printed trillions of dollars. Europe printed a few trillion. Um, I don't know exactly what type of printing they were doing in Kenya, but I'm sure it wasn't pretty. I'm sure you guys have had inflation go of up course. over the last few years. Um, I mean, this yeah, so what is I mean, what has that been like for you guys over the last few years? Do you feel like the global response to COVID has kind of at least 
enabled or helped to your mission spreading the gospel of Bitcoin? Okay, guess, so I would say there's always a silver lining to every every disadvantage that happens out there, and especially for us educators. Um, and yes, it actually makes it kind of mm -hmm. easy for us to reach out to people because they're looking for other options in terms of uh, storing wealth, in terms of even transacting with with. Uh, maybe country to country, border, border transactions, right? So yes, the, with the inflation that is happening, currently even happening in Kenya and other African countries, uh, we're seeing people like wanting another option, a different option that is not fiat, right? So we are seeing more people coming online mm -hmm. and asking what else can we use if not the Kenya shilling, if not the dollar, right? Because even dollar is, is just suffering as much. And if the dollar is declining, then that means a whole lot of shit problems for African countries countries right so it actually it actually makes it easier for us mm -hmm. and that is yeah. how we get into money conversations and they get to see why bitcoin why bitcoin is important why bitcoin is the better option right and um another thing about inflation so I mean, mm -hmm. oh no go ahead please. yeah so uh, with, with with the current inflation rates you know life has become so difficult Right. And um, to, uh, let me let me talk about Kenya, mm -hmm. because this is where I am. So with life being difficult, you're seeing people moving to the villages, you're seeing people downsizing, you're seeing people just changing their lives, trying to adopt yeah, to the current economic times. And it's really a sad thing. But so when you go to these people and you read approach these people and tell them hey maybe there is a better option it might not work instantly you might not become a millionaire overnight but at least we are trying to educate like let me say for example myself if i do educate the women these are the same same mothers sisters you know cousins who will educate probably the next generation the kids you know so we might not see hyper but bitcoinization at this particular time but if the adults have this sort of information with them it will be so easier for the coming generation to actually adopt bitcoin in a broader mm -hmm. way right so it will make the uh, the growth actually broader and faster yeah, looking at it as like an investment in the future. Sorry? Yeah, exactly. 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 I mean, so what are so what are the main value drivers? Or what uh, what do the women that work in your institution or not work in your institution that are part of your program, what are the main value drivers that they see in Bitcoin? What do they think is the most valuable aspect of what Bitcoin offers to them relative to uh, the okay. Kenyan show. So two things. One, I would say uh, storage of wealth, because uh, let me just give you like a brief history of uh, females in Africa. So for a very long time, uh, African females mm -hmm. were not um, able to participate when it came to financial decisions and financial matters, right? It was a cultural thing that because the men were the leaders of the house and the providers, that therefore women were not allowed to actually take charge or participate in financial matters. So it was only up to recent that uh, we as women started participating. I remember like my own grandmother who just, may God rest her soul, who just passed, actually got her, um, I won't really call it like a bank account, but she actually got it when we were grown-ups, right? And up to now, I know there's some, yeah, oh, there are wow. certain countries that don't still allow females to own bank accounts unless you have a partner who actually signs the agreement or like validates that you can actually be able to maybe run this particular account. Well, we have changed from that. Uh, a lot of women, because now they're sort of we have um, things have changed. Women are, women are now allowed to participate. So women are trying to sort of reach their male counterparts in time in terms of financial decisions investments uh you know etc and business right mm -hmm. so we have a lot of women holding cash african women are, are at their core are entrepreneurs when you come to africa when you go by the roads roadside you'll see african women are the ones who are doing the small businesses they are selling whatever they can sell just to be able to put food on their table and to maybe just um help themselves financially right so when they come to the classes they're like Okay, I don't know why there was a bit of an echo there, but anyway, so when they come to their classes, they want an I don't worry, we'll cut it out. yeah, uh, they want a way where they can save 
whatever they have been making without without the fear of it being eroded with inflation, right? That is number one. Number two, as most of them are business-minded, um, they most of them tend to complain about transaction fees, things being a bit, um, the transaction fees being a bit expensive. So it kind of takes away their profit from their businesses. So those are the two major things that I've seen with um, uh, females who attend my classes. The other thing, which is not really major, but some come to find maybe income opportunities because the Bitcoin space allows you to have a different source of income right we have others who come as they already have the money so they're just looking for other investment opportunities where they can put in their money you know and maybe hold it for the next 10 five years i'll give an example of one of the females that i had she was working for she she is she's still working for world bank and uh, the, the one of the reasons why she came to bitcoin dada is she had planned to upgrade her car right and she had been saving she wanted to buy it in cash okay. yeah she had been saving for two years and then when she wanted to purchase this car inflation had happened so she needed to actually get more money to purchase and she was so furious she was so emotional about it she felt like the government was stealing from her so yeah, so that for her was like a, for a driving force to join Bitcoin Dada and to actually learn about Bitcoin. I, I, I mean, at the end of the day, um, when we talk about Bitcoin, I think the narrative that a lot of Bitcoiners have certainly used over the last two or three years, and even a little bit before then, was that it's this, this digital gold, this digital store of value. And while there is a lot of merit to that, I've always personally felt that the digital gold element of it kind of belittles what Bitcoin truly is at its very core um, to a certain extent, right? And I understand why we have, or why that narrative is used. It's very easily, it, it, it easily understood. It's tangible. People get it right away. Okay. Um, it's this digital store of value. But I don't think people even on that note, truly understand how powerful a store of value really is. And I'm going to tell you why. Um, I mean, have you ever read Alex Gladstein's um, uh, Check Your Financial Privilege book? I mean, in this book, Alex very articulately points out that Bitcoin and crypto as a whole, although it really focuses pretty much entirely on Bitcoin, um, from a Western perspective, where just up until recently, there hasn't been much inflation over the last 20, 30 years. It hovers between two or 3%, which is the target that someone decided they're supposed to go for, for some reason. I still never understood why. Um, but Bitcoin still operates largely as that speculative asset. But then you look at a country like Kenya, and I mean, I was doing a little bit of a research before, and I think over like the last 40 or 50 years, you guys have averaged roughly 10% inflation per year. Would that be correct? Like high single digits, roughly around 10. Now, what's wild is that just after COVID, so the one or two years post COVID, uh, the United States and a lot of European countries, they had for the very first time in 40, 50 plus years, seven to eight, maybe 9% inflation. And you would have thought the world was ending. I, money was worthless. The world was ending. Politicians had so many questions to answer for. And Bitcoin all of a sudden finally became an alternative, at least in a couple of people's minds. But when you see countries like Kenya or uh, Colombia, Venezuela, and just look at Argentina right now. So the Central Bank of Argentina just hiked interest rates to 118% in their ongoing battle to inflation in Argentina. It's wild. I mean, granted, Kenya is nowhere near on that stage, but I mean, 10% annually is a lot. You're literally losing about 90% of your purchasing power over the course of a decade. And I think that's where people truly don't realize how powerful Bitcoin is on a global scale, just because they have this Western mindset. They have this financial privilege that areas that people such as yourself come from don't have. I mean, so do you feel like there's a more profound identity that the women that are in your school 
have with Bitcoin? Or like, do you feel like they maybe grasp the concept of Bitcoin more quickly compared to everyone in the West? It still just looks like a speculative asset. If you know what of I mean. course. Um, yeah. And, and not just the, the women that come to my class, it's just Africans as a whole. You know, like you said, um, the West have financial privilege that unfortunately as we don't get to enjoy right so when we go to when we actually looked at right. uh, cryptocurrencies as a whole as alternative it's because we have real use cases for bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies so and i think i mentioned them one being like border transactions you know uh bitcoin being borderless you can make those transactions you, you know um other than just it being a speculation speculative tool there are so many things that you can do with bitcoin as an as an african right Right. Um, and, and I think, yes, women get to uh, my students. Let me call them students. <laughs> my students get to understand why Bitcoin. <laughs> my students get to understand my Bitcoin uh, faster than actually somebody who who lived, who has lived in the West. So um, I think it's very important to try and educate and be open minded um, as a as Bitcoiners, try and be open-minded. And I've had this narrative online and there has been like a lot of back and forth with Bitcoiners, you know, don't don't sell your Bitcoin, hold your Bitcoin, blah, blah, blah. And and they, there has been a, a little right. bit of confrontation in Twitter, on tweets about it, but they don't really get to understand why I would actually decide to send or somebody would from states would probably a relative would decide to send me a uh, Bitcoin, right? Or I would decide to purchase using Bitcoin because one, we have fees that you guys do not have, right? We, let's say, for example, the traditional payment yeah. methods or, or payment gateways like Western Union, those things are crazy, you know? So somebody would actually prefer sending Bitcoin to me um, than as opposed to, to sending the dollar, right? That too, the other thing would be the bureaucracy I mean, what's their union fees are like what? 10, 12 percent, yes, something like yes, that. Yes, yes, yes. And don't forget, there's a lot of the questions, the the bureaucracy around it. Why is this person sending you money? Why do you want to withdraw this money? It's all that you know that nonsense. The other thing that um, probably the West do not understand is because is that we have a lot of people who are underbanked in Africa. The systems do not work mm -hmm. the same as they work in. Our financial systems do not work the same as they work in the West. You know, we have a lot of people who are underbanked in in Kenya, yeah. right? So, and and the easier option would be Bitcoin because one, the Bitcoin does not is permissionless. You don't need you don't need documents to actually own a wallet. You don't need documents to 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 trade or transfer your funds. You know, and uh, with projects or um, with projects or technology like Matankura, which allows people to send and receive stats without the internet, it even actually makes it easier for us. Because uh, now without, it, considering the internet penetration also is not really that huge. At least now we have uh, we have products like Matankura that actually help those who do not have internet, right? So, so yeah, there's a lot that the yeah. West needs to educate about themselves about Bitcoin and Bitcoin utility in Africa. So I've always had this kind of gut feeling that Bitcoin and crypto, I mean, so adoption happens in multiple stages, right? And okay, uh, we can go down like the crypto rabbit hole and we can talk about what adoption might happen there. And these are the peer-to-peer uh, -peer trading systems. These are the peer-to-peer -peer decentralized applications, decentralized finance, et cetera, right? And that's with Ethereum and some of the other layer one protocols and the communities that have built around that. And that has a completely different path from an adoption standpoint than I would say Bitcoin does. So for me, Bitcoin was always going to see adoption largely coming from A, the institutional financial sector, largely from the West. And I mean, this is the constant uh, chase that we've had for that Bitcoin ETF. Uh, lots of money flooding in from institutions that are looking to have another hard asset outside of gold or real estate that they can park their money in during periods of geopolitical crisis or inflation, right? But then the second element, I mean, and granted, we haven't even really seen that happen to a certain extent quite yet. Um, the big players really haven't jumped in. 
But the second and probably the most prominent element of adoption that I've always wanted to see happen or that I believed was going to happen was going to be Bitcoin as a payment layer, enabling microtransactions. And I didn't think that was ever going to happen in the West or in, I guess, what you would call more um, uh, modern economies. But I've always felt that that was going to happen in emerging economies. And I think if you look at the level of traction that you're starting to see there, I think that has started over the last maybe four or five years to come to fruition. Um, I mean, so uh, what would you, I, I mean, are you guys, so you said that you have this um, system, or I, I, I forget the name of the application that you just mentioned, that allows for internet-less Bitcoin transactions on the program. So how does that work? Okay, so basically it's like you're saying... Is, is it like over Bluetooth <laughs> or... That's right. So it's uh, so it uses USSD. You know how you can send and receive airtime using USSD. Do you have okay? Yep. So yeah. So it's basically the same thing. So they use the USSD service to actually enable Bitcoin transactions. I'm not a techie, so I might not be able to explain the tech part of it. <laughs> Neither am I part of that company. But here it's working, and it enables yeah, it enables Bitcoin transactions um, without the need of um, internet. Um, it's so it's like sending it's like sending Bitcoin of an SMS. So they do have, once you click, so it's yeah. 8333.mobi. Oh, wow. So what you do actually, you just click, um, for Kenya, it's star 4833. Yeah, hash, star 4833, uh, eight, star 833, hash. So once you click on that, you will see like a, a prompt of things that you can be able to do. Send, receive, start, buy and send goods. Um, what else? Um, I think they also have an, a connection to Azteco because it's not really an off-ramp. You cannot off-ramp. So you can only just yeah. receive and you can send. So I think they have like a partnership with, with Azteco where if one wants to actually off-ramp and get the Kenya shilling, they can get vouchers or something like that from Azteco. That's just fascinating. Now, I mean, are you starting to see a significant amount of transactions being done through Bitcoin with these applications? Or is it still largely everything is still done um, it, with the local currency? Or do you think that the, these Bitcoin transactions are starting to pick up? I think, okay, so we're still on the low levels, but I think it's starting to improve because we're seeing more and more businesses. Like, for for example, right now, if you walk into CBD, I mean, the Nairobi Central Business District, you'll be able to see different shops have, um, like, stickers saying uh, um, LIPA with, the, with Bitcoin or uh, Bitcoin accepted here. So it's really something that really makes me my heart skip you know when i walk through maybe probably a salon or a massage parlor like i'm, I'm just saying a massage parlor because yesterday i just decided you know after the stress i'm just going to wind up and i walked into a massage parlor that actually accepts <laughs> bitcoin right and and the beauty about this when yeah yeah it is so the beauty about businesses accepting bitcoin including my own students remember you said that uh, most of the females in africa are actually business oriented oriented so once they go through the lessons they actually start accepting bitcoin in their businesses and the beauty about this is even with people who don't understand what bitcoin is when they come into such establishment and businesses they get to ask like so this thing is not really a scam if you're accepting it as a form of payment then you know, I might ought need to read about exactly what Bitcoin is. So it also creates interest to those people who don't understand what Bitcoin is. And if, if they're female, they do join Bitcoin Dada. If they're male, they go on online and try to read about Bitcoin. And it cre creates sort of a ripple effect of knowledge, you know, and transformation across different people. Yeah. yeah. So it's slow, but at least... That's um, the big problem in the U.S. too. Sorry? I was going to say, I think that's the big problem in the U.S. is that so many people, even if they do believe this, that Bitcoin is, you know, a way of the future and like the future of currency, if they do own a business and a lot of small businesses around here, I see started to adopt that same sort of thing where I see signs on the door that say Bitcoin accepted or they do things like establish those Bitcoin ATMs, they still won't yeah. accept it as a form of payment at their own business. And I think that really hampers the development of of Bitcoin as sort of a financial asset that people really want to stake, put stake in because they're not, they're not seeing it 
sort of in practice in our country for some reason. I don't understand it. I don't think, I mean, at the end of the day, yeah, so I don't think we're ever, I mean, it would be foolish to think that the United States is ever going to go away from the U.S. dollar, right? Now, like the days of the dollar as the global reserve currency may be coming closer to an end, but the idea that any individual country is going to abandon its own currency I mean, I would love to see it happen. Don't get me wrong. I think Bitcoin should be the global reserve currency. I think everybody should be using Bitcoin. But if we're being completely honest, I mean, I don't see that happening over the course of our lifetimes, if not at all. That's just the reality of it. Is it a viable alternative? Absolutely. But the way that I see the adoption of this happening, particularly um, maybe not in uh, Kenya or in Africa, um, but in at least the U.S., for instance, that. Whenever Bitcoin becomes the back-end payment mechanism, whenever it becomes the ledger system through which people can transact in dollars digitally on their phone, but not know that Bitcoin is the underlying protocol, Bitcoin is the underlying banking infrastructure that enables that transaction to occur, that's when I think you start to see adoption really start to happen. So you're already seeing like um, uh, Jack over at... um, uh, it used to be Twitter. Now I guess he calls it blue. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, like they're working on similar solutions like that. Uh, you also have Jack Mahler's over at Stripe where he's trying to implement Bitcoin payments from an infrastructural perspective like that. But everything is denominated in dollar. Everything is denominated in USD. Bitcoin just happens to be the back end mechanism for this. And I don't think that's too far of a stretch to see because, like, for instance, if I were to ask you, okay, uh, you send money via PayPal or Venmo or whatever app, TD Bank, or whatever banking service you have, do you actually know what the tech stack is and all the intermediaries that are involved around the SWIFT protocol system to enable that transaction to occur? 99.9% of people don't. Exactly. Nobody nobody gives a shit, right? Uh, The only thing they care about is they do a few clicks on their phone and you know what? $10 because your friend bought you a beer yesterday goes to settle the bar tab, right? I think that will be Bitcoin one day. I think you will have Bitcoin on your phone. I think it probably will be denominated in USD. People just won't ever need to understand it. But Bitcoin will become the back-end processing mechanism, the back-end protocol for those types of transactions. At least I'm hoping that we go that way. Um, But that's when I think we start to see real adoption occurring. Um, Now, I'm still hoping out that Bitcoin killed the dollar, but yeah. we'll see. <laughs> well, I think that is one of the biggest challenges that we as Bitcoiners have, or not really challenge, one of the biggest mistakes that we do, because I've attended several education platforms just to try and um, listen in. And to be honest, I think we're giving the wrong information. The the education that is out there, it's a bit too technical. That kind of makes the ordinary person be like... Yes. Uh, like, you know, you get into a class, you get into, or you listen to a podcast, but the, the conversation around it, it's so technical that by the end of it, the person doesn't really understand why I do, why I need Bitcoin if, it, if it's this technical. Well, the only, while the only thing they need to understand is why Bitcoin is important, you know, why Bitcoin is better and why Bitcoin is considered as hard money, as well as how to actually transact yeah. BTC. I mean, no one really gives a fuck where, what... I don't know uh, exactly the technical terms of Bitcoin and and all that. Actually, most of the people get bored easily, you know. So that's one of the biggest challenges when it comes to educators in this space. And I think we really need to change that. And as Bitcoin Dada, um, through our events, because our events are not really um, only for women, um, men are also invited or welcome. So we, we are trying to make it you know, chewable, have information that's actually chewable for for the day-to-day person. You know, coming to an event and people are talking about layer one, layer two, blah, blah, blah. And somebody's like, okay, so am I going to look for money or am I going to try and understand what exactly these things are, you know? So I think that is one of the things that we need to change as Bitcoiners. 
I definitely think that we need to change that. And I mean, I am equally as guilty as anybody out there about talking about not the technicalities around Bitmoin. Uh, I mean, God knows I'm not a coder. I know nothing about actually sitting down and writing a line of code like some of the core devs are. But I understand Bitcoin very intimately from a financial, monetary, and capital markets perspective. And that's just because my background is in finance mark and uh, capital markets, right? But I mean, even coming back to a point that we made earlier, like I never, I never questioned what money was until I learned about Bitcoin. And then I started to see the compare and contrast between different types of money and what has ex existed throughout history. Um, I mean, I had never heard of the Byzantium general's dilemma um, until I learned about Bitcoin, Same right? Uh, no, no, nobody, no, I, I, I mean, I can promise you, if you were to go ask um, over the last 20 years, people who have graduated with a finance degree, uh, people who have graduated with an accounting degree, a uh, bachelor's degree in business in general, I can promise you none of them have ever studied the Byzantium generals problem and none of them have ever heard about Yeah, you're spend. speaking to one of They've them. They never heard of these. I, I did finance in campus. <laughs> I never heard about that. I mean, Matt, you went to business school. Have you ever heard of them? No, no. Counting degree, finance, I don't know any of what you just said. I, I understand the words, but I've never heard them put in that particular order. So I don't know anything about what okay, you're talking guys, about. Um, just, just, exactly. just a minute. And this, just a minute. Okay, so uh, unfortunately, my, my phone is at 2%. I'm going to try and change it to my other phone. And maybe we can continue. Just give me, if, is it possible to give me like five minutes? Uh, not a problem. Okay, we'll be waiting here you. for you. And sorry about these African problems. <laughs> no, not a problem. Uh, we'll, we'll be here waiting for you. Oh, God. So where were we? You were on... Where were we? <laughs> I think we were talking about Africa. Uh, sorry, I also got distracted <laughs> by changing the phones. Well, anyways, uh, and one of the things that I really wanted to ask you, um, so it was earlier this summer, maybe a month or two ago, um, there was a meeting of a lot of Africa's leadership, and I think it was your president, um, so Kenya's president, William Ruto, and he basically stood up in front of this congregation and said, like, look, it's time that we as Africa get rid of the U.S. dollar, because, I mean, every, every single trade between, um, every Pan-African trade between the different African nations, you convert your Kenyan shilling into U.S. dollar. U.S. dollar goes into whatever account is based in, I don't know, let's call it Ethiopia or something, I guess. And I don't know what the local Ethiopian currency is, but it then gets converted back into the local Ethiopian currency. And you have just so much unbelievable friction between all of those intermediaries and probably a significant amount of fees associated with that. So, I mean, your president got up and said, like, look, it's finally time that we have to get rid of the dollar. I mean, what were your thoughts around that? I mean, did you see that as like a huge step forward? Is that something that is, I, I, I don't know. I mean, the dollar is the global reserve currency today, for better or for worse. I mean, what are your general thoughts? Okay, there? so there was a lot of excitement around that particular statement. I mean, it really doesn't make sense if I cannot trade with uh, somebody in within the continent. I mean, I cannot trade with Tanzanians unless I have the dollar. It doesn't really make sense. And that actually sort of um, reduces trades amongst countries, right? And increases yeah. things like tax and all that, and even the prices of goods. So there was a lot of excitement around that. Um, but the thing for me is, what is the alternative that he's looking at, you know? I would want to know exactly what is the alternative that he has for us. If we do lose the dollar, then what exactly is he looking at? But this, I think for me, that's it's a step in the right mm -hmm. direction. Him realizing that, you know, with the dollar, we are basically still sort of controlled by the West, 
right? Everything that we do, everything that we, every business, every trade that we do is actually denominated against the dollar. So I, I believe that's a step do, uh, in the right direction, but I would really love to see what alternative is yeah. he or these presidents are thinking about. Is it moving to to, to Euro? Is it, um, I don't know, something else that will also just be another, you know, moving from one control to the next, you know? And I mean, that's kind of the scary thought because I mean, okay, it's like, I mean, you, I am a huge advocate of every country going away from the dollar standard, uh, which I know as an American, I probably should not be saying that. But the truth is, is that the dollar leads, I mean, the dollar itself is so unbelievably corrupt in how it actually operates. The dollar itself is so unbelievably corrupt and how it perpetuates whatever American idealism is throughout the world. And granted, I mean, of course, I'm an American. I want what's best for the U.S., but I, you can see how the dollar has itself become weaponized, and it has significantly hurt. I mean, every emerging economy, I mean, Europe is basically hobbling along right now. Like Europe, arguably the U.S. is the biggest ally group, and it's hobbling along because of the dollar standard to a certain extent, right? Now, what is the alternative? I don't know. Um, and I'm not a big fan of BRICS. Um, I mean, that's what, what, what Brazil, Russia, India, uh, China, South Africa are thinking about doing because I personally trust what the Chinese are doing significantly less than I trust what the U.S. government is doing. Um, I mean, just look at how their own social credit system and their own CBDC got rolled out in China. That just sounds horrifying if that gets rolled out internationally. But there has to be a viable alternative. But for the life of me, unless there is a organized group that gets together and does something like BRICS, and maybe that is the solution, I don't know. Maybe not BRICS itself, but something similar. But the only alternative I genuinely see is Bitcoin. I can't fathom, and maybe somebody infinitely smarter than I am will come up with a solution, but I can't come up with what a I, I can't envision what the next global reserve currency would look like if it's not Bitcoin. I mean, have you given any thought? I absolutely that? agree. This is the one. Or I mean, even let's call it an African reserve mm -hmm, currency. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And this is one of the reasons why I wasn't really. Like what would an African reserve currency look like? <laughs> I wasn't really super excited when he said that because uh, for me, that statement was halfway like. Um, I'll only be excited if he says, okay, we get, we yeah. come out of the, you know, the, the dollar and have this as an alternative. Then if he had said something like, you know, have like an African currency, which would really excite me, you know, um, talk of what Gaddafi mm -hmm. wanted to do. You know, he had this vision of creating one currency that would be backed by the gold reserves, right? Um, if he had said like something like that, then I would be so, I would be jumping up and down, right? But because we really don't know what is going on in his head, I can't really say that, um, no, I'm excited that, that our president is actually saying this because it might be moving from the dollar and moving to another currency which will still take us into um what as, as i don't want to use this term but uh, slave position you know neo-colonialism at the end of the day it's jumping from one control to the mm. next control it doesn't really it's yeah. like moving from one abusive husband to the next abusive husband just because your first partner was physically this one now is emotionally abusive you know the results are still basically the same thing so for me unless i get to see the alternative or hear the next alternative yeah. i'll still put bricks on it on my level of enthusiasm around that particular statement um and see what happens next but i do hope that if it's not bitcoin then an african currency that will enable trade to move swift more smoothly uh, within the african countries i mean i would be a huge proponent of that i think every uh every economic zone needs that to facilitate trade it has to get away from the dollar eventually i wonder if so I wonder if you're president and I wonder if African leaders fall short of being willing to say 
what they think that new African currency should look like, frankly, because of what happened to Gaddafi, right? Um, I mean, I don't want to go down too far down the conspiracy uh, theorist rabbit hole, but I mean, if we're going to, I mean, if we're going to be completely honest, um, that definitely had something to do with what happened over there. Uh, I mean, him saying like, yeah, we need a pan, we need a pan-African currency backed by gold. If I remember correctly, that's what he said. Um, that absolutely had a, was was one of the reasons why, well. He ended the way that he did. I yeah, say. yeah, and uh, this is one of the reasons why sometimes. I mean, it, it, it's unbelievable what they'll do to protect it. <laughs> I know, and this is one of the reasons why sometimes I look at our corrupt leaders, and I'm like, sometimes they really don't have an option. I mean, the option is death, you know. Yeah, I mean, I certainly share that opinion. Um, I mean, when you see, when you're an American living abroad, and you can. Yeah, you, you start to look at this a little bit more objectively. Um, and like the, the U.S. media never covers how the U.S. is interpreted or how the government operates or how it allegedly operates abroad. Um, you have to look at other governments. You have to look at other media outlets that are more native to the jurisdictions that the U.S. kind of operates in. And I mean, it's rather self-evident how... Uh, the government operates in certain capacities. And at the end of the day, I do believe one of the primary reasons why uh, we don't see the Bitcoin ETF and why the SEC, the CFTC, and the large regulatory bodies in America are effectively being weaponized against Bitcoin and against crypto. I do believe, and this is maybe a bit of a conspiracy theorist of myself, um, I do believe that a, an element of that is because they don't want the dollar to be destabilized. Because if you lose the dollar as a reserve currency, the quality of life in America just plummets. The exports, the uh, or the, rather the imports, the very cheap goods and services that they get from from China, from Africa, from Latin America, uh, from Mexico. Mexico is now uh, Mexico recently passed uh, China as the number one trading partner with the United States. Well. If the dollar loses its value relative to the Mexican peso because, hey, it's no longer the global reserve currency, it no longer has that demand there, I mean, what the fuck is going to happen uh, to a lot of the goods and services, a lot of the commodities that are purchased from Mexico? I mean, I'm not going to be able to eat jalapenos anymore, and that just sounds like a horrible future. I need my Bitcoin, so I'm going to be able to afford jalapenos in the near future. Mm -hmm. And it actually ceases to be a superpower at the end of it all. It ceases to be a superpower because if your dollar, I mean, your currency isn't like being used by the majority, then um, who are you controlling? You know, exactly what power do you have against others? You know, so... Yeah, exactly. so I, th I think they are afraid of that. And like you said, I think they are weaponizing these uh, institutions for that particular reason because... And the other thing I would say, the BRICS is kind of fighting for superpower. I don't really think China wants to do the best for other countries. It's just superpowers fighting amongst this, themselves. And I, I believe yeah. African countries don't see that. You know, they think that... Um, China or Russia is for them. Well, I really don't believe that. I don't believe that crap. I don't believe non that nonsense. I mean, the only people who could save us is us as Africans. I don't believe Russia could, can save us. I don't believe China can save us. I don't believe India can save us. Actually, they're in our state. So, yeah, for me, that's total bullshit. Moving from one... I was going to say, definitely not that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, for me, it's total bullshit. So... Yeah, and, and I truly hope that other Africans can actually see that and not be carried away by, you know, um, this sort of picture they're trying to paint of uh, saviors from, uh, from the United States. They're just the same kind of people, you know? Absolutely. Well, I mean, I think we can certainly cheers to that. Um, I mean, it sounds like you are certainly doing your part, working to help educate people, working to help educate women on Bitcoin, on what money is and what, frankly, sound money is. I mean, I believe that we are on the precipice of what will be the ultimate tool for the most generational wealth ever created in human history. And I think that will be in Bitcoin and crypto. And it's absolutely wonderful to see people like yourselves uh, 
out there on the front lines fighting the good fight to educate people for this. But um, I mean, so tell me, Lorraine, I mean, can you explain a little bit more what Bitcoin data is and maybe even how people can become involved in Bitcoin data? I mean, what can we do to help you with your agenda of pushing Bitcoin education? In okay, so at the beginning, I talked about how I got into uh, to Bitcoin and all that. So Bitcoin data essentially is um, an NGO, call it an NGO, where our main focus is to train African females on financial education with a focus on Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Right. So we're trying to give education or trying to reach masses, uh, especially females who can't really get this information, um, um, probably online or anything like that, just trying to reach out to them in a way. And our content is in a way that is easily available, easily understood by them. So we do have online classes that run every Thursday and Tuesdays at 9 p.m. East African time. I think I would say 70% of our classes are online because remember we have females from different backgrounds. And now we have expanded to other African countries. I started with Kenya alone, but now we have had students from Nigeria. We've had students from um, South Africa, and we also had students from Rwanda. So a majority of our classes are online. We do have uh, physical classes that um, we teach them on how to um, open wallets, store their seed phrases, transact, you know, on-ramp and off-ramps. We also do have that. And then we do have graduation after the, the period of learning. We do have exams at the end of it. And uh, once they go through the exams, they pass, mm -hmm. um, they have they they have a graduation ceremony. So we did have a graduation ceremony during the Machankura launch. And we, for that particular event, we had 15 students graduating. So we almost have like 60 plus students totaling over um, the last four cohorts. We are currently onto our fifth cohort and we have over 120 applicants across Africa. So we are really expanding and we are really growing. And I'm really grateful to organizations like HRF. They did send us a donation, a huge donation. And this has really helped us in terms of creating a website, in terms of even getting help, because initially I was just like doing this by myself. But now I have like four other students that have employed and that really warms my heart because they mm. do get to earn in Bitcoin, you know, and we have started like a mentorship program. So with my four employees, they are expected. It's an exercise that's ongoing. They are expected to mentor other four or eight students from the ones who've already graduated. So we're trying to create like a um, sort of a family tree. So I am a business developer. I can also mentor another student or two students oh, wow. into doing the same. Uh, and the reason why I'm doing this is to enable these students after graduation, they have something with, with on their hands, you know? So let's say, for example, Proof of Work is looking for content creators, right? And maybe you just want to focus on Afri the African market. So you can definitely come to Bitcoin Dada and ask, uh, do you have like somebody who can do this for me? Do you have somebody who can market this particular content for me? So that is what I'm trying to do by offering this mentorship program um, after they have graduated. We've just started. And I'm really hoping that this will actually enable some of the students who are not really employed and they're doing their H to five jobs have like an extra, even the ones who are, who are employed. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, times are tough. Having an extra skill that they can be able to be employed by other Bitcoin companies because there are so many Bitcoin companies and there are so many Bitcoiners who want these sort of skills. So... The other thing is we've had volunteers across the um, globe coming to train our ladies, which I'm really grateful for. You know, so an example, if you, for example, feel you're well-versed with uh, mm -hmm. security measures, we normally invite such people to come and train the ladies um, on these particular uh, topics. And this helps them realize that it's not just myself. Uh, there are a lot of people outside there who are Bitcoiners who are actually doing it and making it and who are, who believe in the power of Bitcoin, right? So, yeah. So how can people help or find us? One, if you can, if you're an educator and feel like you can be able to motivate or teach a certain topic to the ladies, feel free to reach us on um, maybe our Twitter handle is BTC 
underscore dada. That's BTC underscore dada. Uh, we also need Instagram is BTC underscore dada on LinkedIn, Bitcoin dada, and our website is BTC dada.com. So in case you want to know more about um, Bitcoin dada, you can find us on Twitter. You can find us, you can check our website. It's BTC, uh, BTC dada.com. Um, the other thing, if you feel like you want to donate to us, we also have a donation button on btcdada.com. I'm just giving you a follow on oh, Twitter. Thank now. you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. And also, if you feel like you just want to motivate the gun, <laughs> you don't really have to be an educator. You can just join one of the classes and see what they learn and maybe talk to them. Uh, I feel they really they really get excited when they when they see um, outsiders coming into their classes. So also feel free to drop me a message either on Twitter, Instagram, on LinkedIn. But I'm really um, I'm really active on Twitter. So feel free to reach out and say hi. That really motivates us to continue doing what we are doing. Yeah, I definitely want to try to get involved in any way that I can. Your the mission that you guys have, the agenda that you have uh, is exactly aligned to everything that I would want to see happening. It's absolutely phenomenal. Um, so what would be the best way to get involved, really just kind of from a, a social media perspective for now? Okay, I think one of the best way, probably just um, engage with our tweets, you know, if not, join the classes, even if you're not, not an educator, do join the classes, let them see that there are other Bitcoiners who care about Bitcoin and care about them. That really helps them create the enthusiasm of joining the class every other time. Because let me tell you, it's not easy, even for me as a person, joining classes all those days, every Tuesday and Thursday, just listening to the same person over and over. So yeah, you can, also, you can as well do that. You can help us by retweeting whatever we do. Give shout outs to Bitcoin Dada or BTC Dada. Um, yeah, basically that is it. And lastly, donate if you can. I will absolutely make sure that I do that for you guys. So anyways, uh, it was an absolute pleasure to have you on today, Lorraine. Uh, certainly a very insightful conversation and I really, really am excited about what you guys are working on down there in Kenya. Uh, I look, I mean, we got to get you back on sometime okay. soon. Uh, let's try to make that happen. Definitely, definitely. Thank you for having me on your podcast. No, thank you for joining. I hope you have a great day.